Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. But do not add to His words, lest He rebuke you and you be found a liar. I began last week by asking you a question, and at least one of you told me afterward that that was helpful. The question was, how is your thought life? So let me begin this week with another question. What role is the Bible playing in how you view, assess, and evaluate the innumerable messages, ideas, and whatnot, fill in the blank, that are coming at you on a daily basis. Are you testing everything in your life down to your own personal priorities? By, through, and according to God's Word. There is only one safe standard, and it is God's Word, friends, brothers and sisters. It is only of God's Word that these words here can be spoken, or can be said, every word of God proves true. Can you say that about anything else? Can you ascribe perfection to any other message? or teaching in this world? No, you can't. I can't. I remember as a boy growing up hearing the evening news on a daily basis in our home. My parents would flip it on every evening. As a kid, you're not much interested in the news. It's kind of boring, but it's on. And to this day, if I hear the voice of Peter Mansbridge or Lloyd Robertson, I'm taken back to that time in in my childhood. It was a daily, I don't want to say ritual, but it was in our home, the evening news. Every evening at the same time. the events of the day, the events in the world, interpretations of those events, and so on. But think about how different things are today. We all have access, or I would say most of us, if not all of us, have access to not just the evening news on cable television. 
That's probably a thing of the past for many of you, but we have access to all the news that we could ever want to gorge ourselves on 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And more than the abundance of this, we have the ability to listen or read or take in all of that news and information that we're gorging ourselves on. We do it very selectively. We have that privilege. You didn't have that privilege turning on the six o'clock news when I was growing up. You listened to whatever the anchor had to say, but now we can go just about anywhere into cyberspace and listen to whoever we want to listen to or read about whatever we want to read about. I was encouraging uh, our congregation this morning back in Quebec to uh, refamiliarize ourselves with the idea of what's called confirmation bias. It's not a theological term. It's a term used in the world, but it's, it's a very, I think, important term for us to understand today, even as Christians, maybe especially as Christians, confirmation bias. There, we have a propensity to gravitate towards the people and the things and the ideas that will confirm what we already believe to be true. And that's not always a bad thing. Let me be clear. It's not always a bad thing. But it can be. Messages, messages, the messages. Authorities, authorities, authorities competing for our attention, vying for our time. And perhaps what's most dangerous is seeking to draw us in, to embrace and accept and believe what they have to share or say. And it's come at a cost. There are some benefits to having more than just the six o'clock news today. There are some benefits to the proliferation, to the, to the multiplication of uh, avenues through which we can get information, but it's come at a hefty cost. And perhaps that cost is even more amplified when we recognize that this has always been the case, whether you're living in 500 B.C., 1000, or 2022, it's always been the case, but perhaps more so than ever we need to be aware of this, is that by and large, the, the preponderance of what we're taking in, information-wise, is simply a mixture of truth and error. That's not to say that it's good and bad, it's just to say that none of it is infallible. Only of God's word can we say every word proves true. Not even the most uh, discerning and impressive professing Christian who writes 
uh, captivating and theologically rich blogs. Not even of that person can it be said every word proves true. And we know that we're taking in a lot more than just good Christian blogs. And so let me ask the question that I began with. What role is the Bible playing in how you are evaluating all that stuff that's coming at you? And I have to ask myself that question. Because as the people of God, it's a privilege. Yes, it's, it's a duty. We have the duty of disentangling truth from error in this world. We are the light of the world. And we ought to, yes, shine the light of the gospel as brightly as we can, but there's associations between light and truth. The church is the pillar and ground of what? Of the truth. And we live in a fallen world, lying in the lap of the father of lies. And we have a duty to disentangle truth from error, which is so often mixed together. It's not as black and white as we might want it to be. Oh, thank the Lord that he's given us his word. Because every word of God proves true. And God's word and God's word alone is sufficient to enable us to disentangle the truth from falsehood, from the falsehood as we go through our lives evaluating and evaluating and discerning and discerning. Thessalonians 5, verse 21. Test everything, says the Apostle Paul. Hold fast to what is good. We ought to cling to what is good. Hold fast means don't let it go. But in order to not let it go, we have to receive it. We have to embrace it. And in order to embrace the good, we have to learn to separate it from what is not good. And that's why Paul says, test everything. And perhaps we do well now to be reminded of... Uh, other words of the Apostle Paul in Second Corinthians 11, words of warning. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Paul goes on, so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Oh, how desperate we are, friends, for the Word of God. 
Every word of God proves true. No one else can make this claim. Nothing else can make this claim. God's word and God's word alone is the touchstone by which everything in our lives ought to be evaluated. And friends, this may seem like a daunting task, and there are times where it is difficult, and and it, it... it, it is uh, not easy. It takes hard work. Uh, and, and, and it may sound very serious. It is very serious. But let's not forget that it is a, it is a delight to be able to learn the truth as we have our minds more and more renewed and conformed to the image of Christ thinking God's thoughts after him. That's a great privilege. But God's word alone ought to be the touchstone. What's the touchstone? We often use that term in its figurative or metaphorical sense these days. The touchstone was a literal object that was used in ancient days. Merchants would keep this little stone. It was made of a number of materials. One of them uh, was slate. And the touchstone enabled a merchant to test the quality of a potential buyer's currency, which was often gold. You see, good gold would leave a very distinguishable scratch on the touchstone. But cheap gold wouldn't. And so, and currents, uh, counterfeits flew around back then as they do today. And if you were the merchant and someone wanted to pay you for your product in gold, you would say, hold on a sec, let me test your gold on my touchstone. And you would take that gold and you would see if it was real. And if it left the scratch, it's good. And you see, God's Word has to be like that touchstone in our lives where things that come at us and, and vie for our embrace and our attention, we have to say, no, i got to bring those to the touchstone. That might be false. That might be evil. That might be counterfeit. That might be fake. That might be uh, sinister. That might be godless. And how do you know if those things are right or wrong? Well, you... Bring them to the touchstone of God's Word. And if it lines up, then you know it's good and you cling to that. Do not be conformed to this world. Romans 12 verse 2 but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So it's a wonderful thing to have God's holy, infallible, inerrant, perfect word to guide us in our lives.
We see in the second place here in our text, though, that there's also a warning. A warning to to handle God's Word with care. You see, just because we have the Bible doesn't mean we can play fast and loose however we want with it. There is a right way of handling the Bible, and there is a wrong way of handling the Bible. And one of those wrong ways is spoken of here in Proverbs 30 and verse 6. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you. Who's he? God. And you be found a liar. Perhaps Job's friends, if we want to call them friends, come to mind. Did they not add to God's words? They had a kernel of truth trying to explain to Job why his suffering had come about. They had some theology right. They had some of God's word on their lips. But oh, they had a lot of stuff wrong, didn't they? They added to God's word. And what happened in the end? Well, the Lord rebuked them. And they were found to be liars. But it's not just Job's friends and even Proverbs chapter 30 where this warning is given to us by God. You see, God warns us against adding to His Word over and over and over in the Bible. It's very important to God. We're going to come to consider some of the reasons why. But I want us to just appreciate how frequently this warning turns up in his word. And I want us to appreciate where these warnings turn up in his word. In the beginning, in the middle, and in the end. You can close your Bible, if you, not to be silly here, but you see that Proverbs is roughly in the middle, even if it weren't. Still somewhat in the middle, but I want us to see how important this principle is. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. You could turn there if you'd like, or you can just listen. Moses hasn't even died yet, people haven't even begun to possess the land, little parts of it while Moses was alive, but really that is minimal. In other words, this is very early. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word 
that I command you, nor shall you take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. We see that we can abuse and mishandle God's word in uh, different ways. One we're considering now is of adding to his word, but we see that there's also a danger of taking away from his word, of subtracting from it. We're liable to that as well, and we're warned against that as well, as we'll see again. And I want us to now, uh, we'll pass over Deuteronomy 5, because that's repeated again after the uh, reminder of the Ten Commandments. Uh, we'll go right to the last book of the Bible, Revelation 22. And the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, verse 18 and following, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Oh, that's just the book of Revelation that's being referred to. Well, that is the immediate context, but the church, uh, as far as, uh, as far as I understand, uh, the, the church has understood, and I think rightly so, this to apply more broadly than simply the book of Revelation. This applies to the entire word of God. God has placed this warning at the very end of the canon of Scripture. That's not an accident. Nothing's an accident that God does, but we have it. Proverbs 30. Why do we need this warning? Let me try to briefly... go through several reasons. We need this warning because of unbelief. And when I say we, I mean the sinful image bearers of God collectively. We don't truly believe that what God has revealed in these 66 books is enough, is sufficient for faith and life in this world. We don't really believe that it's enough. And we will, sometimes with good intentions, other times not, we will add to what God has said. We're going to see how we do that shortly. Unbelief. Secondly, simply ignorance. Ignorance of what the Bible really says. And I've come across this both inside and outside the church. Uh, just the other day, I, I was listening to 
an older interview, it, wasn't a new, it was an older interview with uh, George Harrison, the former Beatle. And many of us, or those of you of a particular generation, are familiar with the words of John Lennon at one point, who said very arrogantly, we are more popular than Jesus Christ. But I was interested to hear, uh, or my ears perked up when George Harrison, another one of the Beatles, began to speak about Jesus Christ and the Bible. I wanted to hear what he had to say. And then he said, well, as Jesus teaches and we have it in the Bible, I said, well, what's he going to say? And then he said something that I had never heard before. And it was not out of the Bible. And I'm not singling out George Harrison as a man here. I want to just single out the example of people who just simply think something is said in the Bible, but it's not. Money is the root of all evil. No. The love of money is the root of all evil. That's subtracting from the Word of God. And people don't always, they don't necessarily mean to do it maliciously. But that's a, that's a reason. That's, that's one of the reasons we're warned in God's Word to handle it carefully and not to add to it. Ignorance. So unbelief, ignorance. Thirdly, arrogance. Arrogance on our part in presuming that we can speak for God where he has chosen to remain silent or where he has revealed something in what we might call a veiled fashion. Let me give you the example of, of the, the Trinity. What a glorious doctrine. I believe, as I hope you do, in one eternal glorious God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches that. Can you fully understand that? No. No. Can you explain it fully to a child? You can, yes, we can, we can help, but we can't, we can't fully. It remains mysterious. You cannot exhaust the doctrine of the Trinity by speaking about a car with an engine running and the different parts, or maybe you're not familiar with that. See, what's he talking about? I've heard that. You cannot, you cannot exhaust the doctrine of the Trinity speaking about water uh, and, and ice and, and, and gas. Three different, uh, three different, okay, these are, look like they're maybe not familiar to you, but what I'm saying is that we cannot fully explain or understand certain things that God has revealed in his word to be true. And what Calvin said, when we, whenever Calvin got to a place where we couldn't go any further, rather than try to go further and add his own interpretation or speculation, I love what Calvin does regularly in his commentaries or in the Institutes. He says, and here we must stop and bow and adore in wonder. 
simply receive what God has revealed and accept that we can't go any further. Perhaps our minds can't, our finite minds can't grasp it. For whatever reasons God has chosen to uh, reveal or not reveal certain things. So arrogance is another, arrogance on our part. But the final reason, and I think this is what gives rise, I know, we all know, this is what gives rise to all of them. So this is the most significant, is that we as fallen image bearers of God have inherited a sinful nature that is disposed to twist God's words. Never forget that. Never forget that. We ought to have stamped on our minds, Genesis 2 and 3, as we navigate life in a fallen world. Did God really say, O Eve, now, I went back and I I was interested to see this and I wanted to compare the number of words that Adam, that God had used when he put Adam in the garden, this beautiful new paradise. And God gave him everything except one tree. God said, you can have it all, just not this one tree. And I wanted to compare how many words God used to articulate that to Adam, to how many words the serpent came along and actually laid down in trying to tempt Eve. And yes, there's not a formal equivalence between English and Hebrew, but it's safe to say that the serpent used a lot more words than God had used in his clear command to Adam. Where words are many, sin is not lacking. The serpent, the devil, demons from the very beginning have taken God's word and mangled it and twisted it and subtracted from it and added to it. And it was that very mangling and twisting and adding and subtracting that led our race to ruin. What did the temptation for Adam and Eve revolve around? It didn't revolve around a tree. It revolved around God's Word. And whether He had truly spoken and whether He meant what He said, The serpent right right out of the gate. Oh, Eve, did God really say you couldn't have any tree in the garden? God never said that. You see the, the serpent adding to God's word the very beginning. We do that today.
How do we do that? Trying to get more practical. Well, I want us to consider five ways that we can do that. And I think that we're all uh, we all need to pay attention to these ways. We may not be uh, we may not be adding to God's word ourselves and our lives in one particular way or another. But I think at various points we're we're all we're all liable to any one of these especially the last one. But in the first place, how can we add to God's Word in our lives? We add to God's Word when we tack on actions and quote-unquote services and ministries to our life and worship that God has not commanded. And this can range from the, the tragic and extreme to the more subtle. Uh, let me start with tragic and extreme. Perhaps you think of Nadab and Abihu, the sons of uh, Aaron, the high priest, Moses' brother, Moses' nephew. God hasn't revealed in his word why they offered strange fire on the altar, but he has revealed that what they offered was not what God had commanded. It was something else. And they lost their lives. Another tragic case is, uh, that comes to mind is Saul. From Saul's perspective, yes, God had glorious overarching purposes in his plan of redemption. But from Saul's perspective, why was the crown taken from him by God? Because he mangled God's word. God had commanded him to go into battle and to clear it all out. To not spare anyone or anything. To devote it to destruction. And what did Saul do? He didn't do that. Yeah, he went into battle. Yeah, he conquered. But he took some of the spoils. He even did something religious with them. I offered with them. But what does the prophet point out to, to Saul? Oh, Saul... To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed, the, that is to heed, to listen, to obey the voice of the Lord is better than the fat of ram. Saul, you mangled God's word even though you thought you may have been doing something good. We don't have time to get into Saul's motives here. But Saul paid a price for that. But this type of uh, playing around with God's Word can happen in, in more subtle ways. Church needs to be very careful about 
the practices that we incorporate in our corporate worship. We need to be uh, careful in our own lives as individuals and as families uh, when it comes to um, uh, our services to God. I want, I want to be careful here because there's a wonderful variety of service that, that we can render God, and I don't want anyone to feel limited in that. But there are certain things that are off limits for the Christian. There are certain things that we simply cannot do to the glory of God. Even if we do it in the name of witnessing or evangelism. Two things that we ought to be doing. But we can never compromise uh, God's word or our integrity in doing those things. Let me move on. The second one is this. We can add to God's word when we require other believers to conform to standards that are beyond what is written. And oftentimes, we do this without pointing it out to them. Uh, We do it just in our thoughts. Oh, that person listens to that genre of music that's so ungodly. There are some things in life, there are many, and God's Word is clear on this, the things that are black and white, And we can draw a clear line in the sand between good and evil. But there are other things in life, and there are also, and there are many of them that are left to liberty of conscience. And we have to be very careful when expecting or imposing uh, a certain action or lifestyle or activity or prohibiting that upon another Christian that is not in God's Word. We have to be very careful with that. Do not add to his words. The Pharisees were very good at adding to the words of God. Matthew chapter 15, you can perhaps read that this evening or this week. They had added to the Word of God the traditions of the elders. They were disgusted that Jesus' disciples didn't wash their hands before they ate their meals. Was that because there was a pandemic running around and they were concerned about germs? No. It had nothing to do with germs. It had everything to do with tradition. And they, with disgust, said, Jesus, why do your disciples not follow the rules. You know what Jesus says, and I'll paraphrase it here, he says they don't follow the rules because God has not commanded it. And in fact, with you imposing that rule on people, you have made void the Word of God. So we add to God's Word when we require other Believers to conform to a certain standard that we have set up in our minds or our hearts that has gone beyond what is written. Fourthly, and I have to do this one very briefly, we add to God's Word when we add our own speculations to what are undoubtedly several difficult 
portions of Scripture. We want to be able to explain everything. We don't like something that seems to uh, not feel quite right or, or that we can't, that, that makes us maybe a little unsettled. We want to be able to have everything in a box with the bow on it. We want to have all the answers, but we need to stop and say maybe God has intended for us to feel uneasy, not knowing the full reality of what he is dealing with here. And to, in the words of Calvin, stop, adore, and praise. Gotta beware of speculating where God has remained silent or where God has revealed something in a, in a, in a way that we think doesn't quite fit the ears of modern men and women and we need to actually go beyond Genesis 1 and 2 and explain it in more scientific terms. Not saying science is bad. I'm not saying science is bad. But what I'm saying is that God's word alone is pure and infallible. Nothing else is. And God has revealed his truth as he has seen fit. Fourthly, and I'm just going to mention this one. We add to God's word when we impose what I call the ifs, ands, and buts. Qualifications. We do this, and I don't exclude myself, more than we realize. Where God has commanded or promised, and and then there's a full stop, we qualify it. For whatever reason. We have to be very careful about qualifying God's word with ifs, ands, and buts. That doesn't mean that there are places where we need to make a qualifying statement if there's the potential of of misunderstanding. It's not what I'm talking about. Perhaps I need to give one example. We are to love our fellow believers. There's no qualifying clause to that. But we will, at times, approach our fellow believer with the mindset of, I will show you my love once your heart starts to soften up toward me. Well, what have we done? We've added to God's Word. Finally, and with this I want to close. And with the four that I've mentioned, if you are convicted, that's okay. And that's good. Because with this final one, I trust, I hope, and I pray that the Lord changes that conviction to comfort, to comfort in Christ.
I don't like to grade these lists, these ways that we can add to God's Word, but if I had to, I would say that this is the one. If you're going to remember one of them, make it this one. We add to God's Word when we try to add to the finished work of Jesus Christ, who is the Word of God, the Word made flesh. We add to God's Word when we've confessed our sin, reminded ourselves of his gospel forgiveness, but say, well, I still need a 15-minute timeout before I can feel that I'm in God's good books. You've added to God's word. We add to God's word when we know that it says in his word, that he says in his word that he is both just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus Christ. And we say, surely that doesn't mean me. With my sin. Do you know how much I let God down? Do you know how much I fail on a daily basis? We've added to God's word. Jesus Christ is enough. And there is more grace in Him than there is sin in you. And if we do not remember that, we will add to God's Word. Trying to smuggle in legalism and self-righteousness into our relationship with God. We add to God's Word when we miss our Bible reading in the morning. Bible reading is good. Devotional time is good. But we add to God's Word when we miss it in the morning and say, oh, my relationship with God is on the shelf for today. I didn't get a good start to the day. God's not going to bless me today. But we need to remember whether we do our devotions or not, which are good things, but whether we do them or not is not what our relationship with God is established upon. Our relationship with God is established upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. And when it fails to be glorious and amazing grace in your eyes, you've lost sight of the truth. And I've lost sight of the truth. Because none of us deserves it. Trying to add to the finished work of Jesus Christ is akin to, and this is not my own illustration. I heard a preacher use this a number of years ago. I'll give credit where it's due. Trying to add to the work of Jesus Christ by smuggling in our own works, even if that work is simply a timeout. 
is like painting a stroke, a brush stroke on the Mona Lisa. you think needs to be added. You've only vandalized it. Friends, let the finished, glorious, perfect work of Jesus Christ stay intact, be intact. Don't add to it. Don't subtract from it. Admire it and rest in it. And then, therefore, by the mercies of God, as you look at that glorious finished work, respond to that grace by offering yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable in His sight.